listening to the Ecclesia of Noonan Sermon Podcast. If you'd like to show your support to find out more information, check out our website, ecclesianoonan.com. Thanks to you, Andrew, and company for getting all of this together every week. Thank you, both. And to Rachel today for keeping all of our babies and company representing her. I think she needs help. Uh, so, today uh, we are uh, looking at God's Word and have the privilege of uh, looking at this idea of nature. Uh, you know, know thyself is sort of a, a secular mantra. Really, it's not a sacred one anymore. Uh, people want to know themselves. Self-knowledge and revelation has never been at an all-time high. We just we want to be aware of oneself, right? We want to get to know oneself. And in a day where secular humanism is king and where you worship the self, you worship humanity, then then knowing yourself is like one of one of the highest uh, enterprises that a human can be involved in, right? There is a part of that that is true um, but the only part of it is true is that living in a knowledge of who God is and living in a knowledge of who you are is detrimental to your day to day life uh, and, and incredibly helpful isn't it um, it's just helpful um, and so again as, as Andrew rightly prayed we, we want to think rightly about God we want to think consistently about who we are and um, a hope that Second Peter, um, uh, as we read it through the coming months, uh, just continues to help you with all that as you think clearly about who you are. I don't know about you, but my mind and heart get very convoluted throughout my week. How about you, right? Um, I mean, it, and it doesn't take much, does it? it? It really doesn't for us to just, why am I thinking like that? You know, Or why do I think that I can behave that way? R.C. Sproul said our beliefs dictate our behavior. And it just, it all goes sideways very quickly. And so today um, is another day for us to say, God, who are you and who are we? I just want to remind you last week from whence we came, and that is that, uh, you know, the Bible said uh, through through Peter and his revelation, uh, hey, uh, you have been given as a Christian everything that you need for life and godliness. And so we took that and we said, okay, the basic principle that comes out of this is, is this. Um, provision for Christian maturity starts with God, begins with God. And we are completely dependent on all things for life and godliness from God, right? We are, we are both commanded to life and godliness, and yet in this verse we're supplied with everything that we need for life and godliness. And so last week the idea was you don't need any special access. If if you're inclined to think, oh, just someday I'll get there, oh, just someday I'll get that special spiritual access, then you're thinking wrongly. And many of us are. Many of us have such uh, sort of a sort of what I call premier mindset. We're waiting for the premier, right? Uh, that we we're just not there. Uh, we, we don't understand that we've been given everything that we need. We have everything that we need. God has given it to us through his resurrection, victory, and through the Holy Spirit of God, right? So today um, we uh, are looking at more of God's fulfillment, more of God's provision. Part of it is completely present today, and others of it is for the future, right, as we talk about the divine nature. So really what I want you to walk away with today 
is a knowledge of your nature. What, what is your nature? Uh, sin nature, human nature, divine nature, and how, does, how do all those things work out? And then how is that going to help you on a day-to-day basis uh, live the Christian life that the Holy Spirit has um, empowered you to do? And that God has planned for you to do and uh, intended for you to do, right? Um, uh, a lot of people get hung up on predestination, uh, but the predestination is a deep doctrine because the Bible says um, in uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 29, that God has actually predestined you for good works. Like, he wants you and has planned for you and, and has provided for you as well. So last week was about good works, right? Um, so this is this is uh, very, very important. All right, so um, here's a summary, and I'm going to give you the summary a couple of times now and then at the end, at the conclusion. Uh, here's a summary, and it's a mouthful. You may not be able to write all of it down, but maybe just the gist of it. Uh, here's the summary uh, sentence for today. God has given saving promises to his people. Okay? God has given saving promises to his people so that they will become like God. Not so that they will become God. So that they will become like God. So God has given saving promises to his people so that they might become like God. They will become like God and are becoming like God. They will become like God and are becoming like God because they have escaped, because they have escaped corruption in the world. Because they have escaped corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Because they have escaped corruption in the world caused by evil desires. One more time. God has given saving promises to his people so that they will become like God. They will become like God, future tense. Right? Uh, And are becoming like God present because they have escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. And I, I think that you can see that once we read our text again. Like it's very clear that's a summary sentence, uh, and we're, we're going to unpack all that. Uh, here's, uh, here's what First Peter, excuse me, Peter 1.4 says, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you might become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Let's just look first things first at the first part of this verse. The verse is broken down into three sections, one, two, and three, A, B, and C, and that's how we're going to look at it today. The first deals with just promises of newness. That's really what it's dealing with. Uh, and, And the Word of God says, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. So the the adjectives that he's given us is that they're not just ho-hum promises, right? Um, I'm, I'm going to promise to meet you uh, later for coffee, right? I, I mean, it's it's uh, cosmic, life-changing uh, promises that end in eternal destinies being different uh, from what they uh, should have been, right? Um, so. Uh, he says that that we've been blessed. That, that, that's, that's really the idea, is that we've been giving these promises and that these promises are a blessing. The question is, what promises to claim or blessings to enjoy is he talking about at the beginning of the verse 
And I think it's very obvious. I think he's talking about us being partakers in the divine nature. So you uh, partaking in the divine nature, we'll talk about exactly what that means, uh, is a promise to claim for you. It is a blessing to enjoy, uh, which brings us to the second and largest part uh, of our text today. So that through him, you might become partakers of the divine nature. So that through them, you might become partakers of the divine nature. So what is participation in the divine nature? Um, what does it mean to partake? That's just exactly what to partake means to share in. To partake means to share in. It means to participate in. Um, but but what, what in fact does all this mean? Okay, so let's get some very straightforward things down. Let's ask some basic questions before we get into how we interface with the divine nature so that everything's perfectly clear. Um, does God the Father have a divine nature? Completely. Yes. Uh, do you have a divine nature? No, you do not. Do you have a human nature? Yes, you do. Do you have a sin nature? Yes, still you do, though not much longer. Okay, praise be to God. Um, uh, do you have both, um, excuse me, do, do you have two different natures right now? Yes. What are they? Tips of Catechism 101 here. Um, what are they? Uh, they are a new nature given to you in the new covenant by a victorious God um, and an old sin nature that's still hanging around that has, by God's grace, been made to no effect. Meaning, not that you don't sin anymore, but that you're not enslaved to sin, Romans 6, 6, which we'll talk about later, and, and that you enjoy the benefits of this gift. So we're going to talk about so that, that, that's sort of a, a rundown of what natures you do and don't have, okay? Uh, you're not a Mormon, and uh, you don't have a divine nature. You're not going to have a divine nature. God is God, and you are not, right? Um, you're not God. You are called to be like God in his moral perfections, and I think that's really what this is getting down to, and his moral attributes, but you are not God, Uh you're, you're not anything like it. You're a human, right? You do get to share in the goodness of God because God says, hey, you become like me, right? Right? Uh, this is the reason that uh, Paul says in the New Testament, be imitators of God. Be like God, right? Uh, but that's be like God in his moral attributes, his wisdom, his goodness, his justice, his righteousness, all these things. You're called to be like God, like that. Now, if you, if you get mixed up on that, then you think that you are to be a God, which many, 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 many people have become very confused on. Many well-intentioned people, uh, persons have, have become confused on through the years. Um, so, um, I think probably the biggest question of the day is to what extent do we participate in the divine nature? To what extent do we share uh, in the divine nature? Um, and it's exactly what I said before. Uh, to the extent that you do is that you're to share in God's moral perfections, except you're not perfect, right? So you stumble, 
with goodness through your life, right? You stumble through your life with wisdom, right? You stumble through your life with righteousness. And, of course, all you see is the stumbling. Uh, what you don't see is the fact that before you came to God, or maybe what you've forgotten, is before you came to God, you were dead in sin. And there was nothing that you could do that pleased God because you were ultimately in the flesh, right? So the word flesh means two things that I've taught you many, many times over the years. The word flesh means humanity or dermis, right? Uh, it also means uh, sinful heart, right? Romans 8.8, 8, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Romans 8.8, 8, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So, um, yeah, you partake in, you share in the divine nature. And I really think that that's what, that's what, that's what Peter is getting to here. Uh, he's not saying that you become God, not at all. He's saying you are sharing in the divine nature. Um, uh, by saying you're to become uh, God-like in as much as the behavior of God, right? The, the goodness of God. So you are to become good, though not omnibenevolent, because God is all good, right? Are you to be wise, but you're not to be all wise, right? Um, and when you get to heaven someday, you're not going to be a mini-God. You're just not, right? Uh, but you will share in moral perfections. So the question begs, why is this so hard to understand? Like, like why, why do I feel like we're, you know, uh, sort of going backwards here in an awkward position to try to say what is obvious, just let us share in the divine nature because of the original audience. He has a Greek audience, right? He has an audience that, so the, the, the people here are just across the Aegean Sea from Greece, right? Uh, this is uh, the current Roman Empire, but the Greeks have left their strong mark on the world and Greek thinks, Greeks think differently about deification and people becoming like God, right? So what he's trying to do is he's trying to be sympathetic. He's trying to find a cultural sort of line or connection. And he's telling them, I'll put this to you. Oh, I know. You're partakers in the divine nature, right? Um, and, and so what he's telling them is that your lives have joined up with God um, and surely we have union with God, right? Um, and we, we abide with Christ, right? But at the same time, we are not God. Uh, and of course, that's, I think that's made manifestly clear throughout the Old and, and New Testaments. So, uh, let's talk about what the Scripture says about you um, uh, putting on the moral perfections of Christ. And the moral perfections of Christ, by the way, is also called God's holiness, um, though not the complete definition of God's holiness. When we say that God is holy, we mean that you are to live a holy life in as much as you are to endeavor to share God's nature in your human nature, you are to be holy as I am holy. Right? First Peter chapter 1, verse 16. That was last, the last book, and he's quoting out of the book of Leviticus there. Um, it's, it, it's always been God's desire for God's people to be holy like he is holy, so that when the people see a holy life, they can point on, as Peter said in chapter 3, uh, verse 15, in his first letter, to the one who is truly holy, right? Uh, the one for 
uh, which our lives exists. Ephesians 4.24 points to holiness and it says, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. I'll read that one more time. Ephesians 4.24, and to put on the new self, as we unite, we're to put on holiness, we're to share in the divine nature in as much as we become imitators of God, okay, um, created in the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Hebrews 12.10 says this, for they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, talking about our parents, but he disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. So you currently, presently, are called to share in the divine nature. And of course, this is a provision that's been given by God. You are able to enjoy this because uh, of everything that Jesus has done for you. He has made it so, so that you can partake. Because you're not dead in sin anymore. You're not spiritually dead at all. You've never been more spiritually alive than you are now when God gave you a new heart, caused you to be born again, you respond in faith, you respond in faith and repentance, you become a brand new creation, you have peace with God, there is no more condemnation uh, for your sin because Jesus has taken that, um, then, then you're, you're now called to be an imitator of, of him. You're now called to share in his holiness. There is also a very obvious future part of this um, where you will someday, right, uh, be, you will, some, you will someday have, uh, you will someday share in God's nature in as much as that you don't sin anymore. Okay? And so holiness will come upon you, right? First uh, John chapter 3, verse 2. Will you turn there with me so we can read it together? First John chapter 3, verse 2. I want you to see it with your own eyes uh, as we read. And then this is really a hope uh, that we have. What is to come? Part of the uh, entrapment, snare, uh, and, and contagion that happens in our week, day-to-day, week-to-week life in a culture that lives for the here and now because they're deeply secular because they're supposed to be, they're living for here and now, is that you and I also consummately live for here and now, right? Uh, now, are we supposed to live in the here and now? Yes. Are we supposed to be faithful in the here and now? Yes. But are our hearts supposed to be idolatrously set on only the here and now? Of course not. We are called to be uh, otherwise uh, engaged. That is to say, we're supposed to be looking. We're to be people of hope because there's something out there, right? And that's the return of the Lord. First John 3, 2. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. Does that mean we'll be God's? No. It means we'll be like him because we shall see him as he is. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 
that as we behold God and seek him, we are changed and transformed from one glory to the next. So the idea is as you behold, you become. My, my mentor has um, chapters in his book uh, that are called Beholding and Becoming. Beholding and Becoming. And that's the thing. As you, throughout your Christian life, behold who God is and see him, right? The word behold means see, right? As you see him, you become more like him. And of course, you come become like him, not because of all the goodness in your life, but because of the graces and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. By his, verse 3, by his divine power, we have been given everything we need for life and godliness. Everything pertaining to life and godliness, right? So it is God's provision. So now this is the future reality in 1 John chapter 3, verse 2 that we just read about being like God. Now here's the thing. Uh, if life is good, it is very difficult for our flesh to ever hope in God. It, it's very difficult for, for, for us in general to hope in God because everything is just so nice and wonderful and cushy here, right? But when life gets difficult, you see a difficult life with Paul in Romans chapter 7, verse 24, and you're just all done, Right? You kind of throw up your hands and you're all done. So we say at the Tiffin House, we're all done. Um, then he says things like, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? He just wants to be rid of it. Does that make sense? He's, he's tired of sin. He's tired of sinning. He's tired of the consequences of sin. He's tired of the temptation that he feels like he cannot resist, though he can. He's tired of it. Right? Uh, and so there's the sense here that you and I uh, are currently uh, partakers of the divine nature as much as we're called to be like God in his moral character. But there's also the future part of it, where through the struggle, through the struggle, you are not to be discouraged, but you are to look to your great hope. You are to know that when you die, whenever that may be, that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, and that that's a great thing. That's a great thing. You have great, great hope in that. Right? It's, it's funny, as we get older, we begin to think about death more. Right? Does that make sense? We do. Um, that's just the reality of it. But when we're 20-something, or 30-something, or even 40-something in my case, ah. We don't really think about it that much, right? Because there's not an urgency about it. But when you're in your 60s or your 70s, you're looking at your life and you're going, we're in the winter years here, or at least in the fall, right? Um, so the great hope that we have is that, hey, Jesus is coming back. <laughs> this is my great hope. And when I see him, uh, I will see him as he is uh, and will be like him, right? So no longer have that that corruption in the world that plagues you. Um, that duality of mind um, back and forth and back and forth. Um, so another part of sharing in the divine nature uh, is this. You've been given a new heart and you have a brand, you are a brand new creation. 
So part of you currently uh, partaking in the divine nature, which is a saving promise given to you, which we mentioned, uh, is the fact that you're a brand new creation. Brand, brand new, right? So how do I partake in the divine nature? You have a brand new mind. As a matter of fact, the Bible says you have the mind of Christ, right? You've been given a brand new heart to obey with. You've been given a new destiny. You've been given all things new. All things new, right? Second uh, Corinthians chapter 5, uh, verse 17. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Turn here. Let's read that together. I often mention this. Um, I think that when Mel Gibson wrote uh, The Passion of Christ, um, of course, I feel like personally he did a masterful job with it. First, firstly, you know, we're all good critics, but uh, I think on the whole, uh, he certainly could have done a lot worse, right? Um, but one of the wonderful things that I love about the film, and I have mentioned this point through the pulpit over the years since having seen the movie, uh, is that he took liberty to say something not on record on the Via Dolorosa. So Mary there in the film, if you remember, cuts him off in a side alley halfway down the Via Dolorosa as he's carrying the cross and under the weight of it. And uh, he comes and he meets her halfway. Or she, she meets him halfway and she stops and just looks at him and there's this embrace, you know, she puts her she said, he says, and I quote, See, mother, I make all things new. See, mother, I make all things new. Now, did Jesus say this? Likely not. Um, is this the spirit of the gospel? 110%. Right? I mean, Paul came out and said it here, right? And if this is not enough, at the end of all things, if you ever studied the book of Revelation, uh, one of the last things that is said from the mouth of Christ is, Behold, I am making all things new. Jesus says it in the end. It shall be said in the future as he stands and says, Behold, I am making all things new. Right. Uh, so we say that you partake in the divine nature, verse 4. You share in the divine nature. It means that God has woken you up. Do you have a human nature? Of course you do. Do you have a sin nature? Of course you do. Do you have a divine nature? No, you do not. Do you share in God's divine nature? Yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. And part of what you get is just a new everything, right? Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Uh, this is what it says. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Verse 18. All this is from God. All this is from God. The reconciled. Um, so, um, I think probably a really overlooked question is, is uh, of today would be um, why do we partake in the divine nature? Which is what I've been trying to answer you. I think the the temptation is to constantly talk about what or how. How do we partake of the divine nature? Rather than saying why. 
And the why is because Jesus saves you from your sin. That, that's why. The, the, the why is the gospel. The why is that he's made you a new creation. Um, the why is because, John 3, 3, you have been born again, right? Now, throughout your life, um, you are both supplied with uh, the, the, the joy of having a new nature where you can o- obey God, but you're also commanded to do it. You're commanded not to be the slave to sin that you once were. And you were a slave to sin, right? Uh, Romans chapter 6, verse 6, and Romans chapter 6, verse 14 talks about that slavery when it says, We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. Verse 14, For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. And that's Romans chapter 6. Uh, verses 6 and 14. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12, pursue peace with all men and the holiness with which no one will see the Lord. Pursue peace with all men, all men, and the holiness with which no one will see the Lord. Um, So we have to say fundamentally that you sharing in God's nature, uh, you participating in divine nature, means you being holy, right? Um, and of course, uh, I think the appeal here is just be who you are. And that's very much alive to God and dead to sin, right? Um, and that would bring us to the last part of, uh, of our passage today, which is the end part of the verse. Um, what is it, you know, how do we live in newness? Um, how do we live in newness? Um, it says you're having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. So, first of all, we get to define escape, uh, escaping. I mean, what, what, what is escaping? Now, many of us know what escapism is, right? We have people around us all the time, people that we love who live constant lives uh, of addiction that help them to escape, right? Um, we ourselves, we ourselves uh, dabble uh, in escapism, and we shouldn't. We should live with our eyes wide open, right? Uh, we should, you know, to, to to live in the here and now, and to say no escapism. I'm not going to let you, you know, sort of get it up on me. Is to obey the command in Peter to be of sober mind. Does that make sense? You, you can't have sobriety of the mind when you're constantly escaping your circumstances. But all of us are guilty. I don't think there's anybody in the room who doesn't struggle with that, right? Uh, I, I think uh, the, the thing here is, is that you have to understand what is it here that we've escaped, right? Here, we've escaped the corruption that is in the world. What does that mean? It, it means that you're no longer a slave to sin. What is the corruption, though, that he's talking about here? He says, because we, we've escaped, we've got escaped, we've escaped the corruption that is in the world. I think, and I'm not alone, I think when he says corruption here, he's talking about spiritual death and judgment. I think that's what he's talking about. So if we read corruption as spiritual death and judgment, then it reads like this. Having escaped from the spiritual death and judgment that is in the world because of sinful desire. Right? So you've escaped separation from God. Have you escaped the effects from all the corruption in the world? Well, certainly not. You haven't. You feel it every day. 
Yeah, so to you, you, know, you, you eat corrupt food, you live in a corrupt body, but someday, the Bible says, this corrupt body is going to put on the incorruptible, right? When you get your resurrection body, of which Christ had the first, it's the reason that the Gospels are so glorious when you read the resurrection account. When you read the Gospels, don't ever stop with the death of Jesus. Keep reading. It's glorious. It is all of your hope. It is all of your model. It is all of your body example about what your future body is to be like. Right? Um, you've, you've been given a body now that is corruptible, and you feel that every day, no matter how old you are. Right? So you, you, you feel the corruption that's in the world. But um, part of uh, what it means to share in the divine nature is a, the full awake realization that there is something that you've escaped, right? And that's the judgment of God, right? And that God is no longer uh, against you, but for you, right? God is no longer against you, but is for you. He has turned you from his, en from his enemy to his, um, to his child. Um, so, have Christians completely escaped the corruption that is in the world? Of course not. If you read both Peter and Paul's understanding in their respective letters of the end times, they always have an assumption, though they may never write, come out and say it, of this already not yet, right? The kingdom of God is already and it is not yet, right? And likewise, we've escaped corruption already in a, in a way, right? And not yet. A way to think about it is already but not fully. Right? Um, that's, that's the idea. So, uh, what have and haven't we escaped? That's really what we've been answering up, up, up to now. So, um, you've still got a sin nature. You haven't escaped that, right? And uh, we certainly wish that, that we could. Um, what is the nature of corruption? The nature of corruption is this, and you, you don't even—you you never need to forget this. The world, okay, the world has been uh, corrupted because of man's sin. The world has been corrupted because of man's sin. Now, when we talk about the world, do we mean the physical world? Well, sure we do, right? But I, I would like to focus a little bit more on on the spiritual or the emotional nature of man, right? Everything about us, everything about us has been corrupted. Why? Because of our evil desires. So we're on the hook for that, right? We are on the hook for it, uh, theologically. Romans chapter 8, verse 21, that the creation itself will be set free from the bondage of corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. All right. Um, as a Christian, you are to be sowing to your new nature rather than not than, than, than sowing to your old nature, right? Uh, Galatians chapter 6, verse 8. This is a passage I used to memorize um, up until this year, actually, with my uh, eight graders in systematic. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. So, 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 so the idea is that those who those whose minds are set in the flesh live according to the flesh. And those who live according to the Spirit set their minds in the things of the Spirit. That's, that's really the idea, right? Um, there in Romans chapter 8. Uh, question as we close. 
as we look at the divine nature, escapism, what you've escaped, and the things that you've escaped as judgment from God. But I think a, a big question here for me, uh, and I think for you too, is do you live in a reality of your own making? Every day, do you live in a reality of your own making? Namely, chasing the very selfish desires that made the world corrupt in the first place. Are you sort of, are you sort of escaping God's reality, right? God's gospel, God's world, God's grace, God's universal law of causality. Are you, are you, are you, are you living in a reality of your own making? Uh, chasing your own selfish desires. Or do you agree that because we've escaped death and hell, right, and been given everything that, that we that we need for life of goodness, that we should in fact chase rather than our own spiritual, excuse me, our own evil desires, that we should chase that which God has given us. God has sown in you everything that you need for life and godliness, right? Uh, Christians should be people who live with eyes wide open, sober minds, knowing who they are, who God is, and how we're called, commanded, and supplied with what we need, right? Uh, the church is an awful mess. Every church is an awful mess. Because you and I are awful messes, aren't we? We are. Now, there are some churches that, as of recently, they have taken in their utter identity as being messes. And they actually market to people as being messes. Right? Probably not very wise. Right? Uh, of course we're all messes. Uh, we certainly shouldn't, you know, market ourselves as being, you know, the perfection of humanity because we're definitely not. Uh, we're, we're all messes. We, we're going to say things even certainly within the context of our gathering that are just unkind, right? Um, but we have been called to God's holiness. We have, we, we have been given uh, all that we need for life and godliness so that when people look, they look at us and go, now those people are ordered by God in his word. They can at least say that. They're at least struggling, right, to have their lives ordered by God in his word. Uh, and of course, if they ask us about it, we're able to tell them, you don't know the half of it, right? You don't have it. This is, this, is, this is the other half. Or this is all, all of the rest of it. Um, calls for holiness from a guy like Peter are almost laughable, aren't they? Right? When you consider like Peter's life and, and calls for holiness in multiple books, it's like, you are going to talk to me, Peter, about holiness. This can't be happening. Uh, but friends, here's the thing. If we only listened uh, to men for who they were, you would never come here again and listen to men. Um, right? Uh, because we take we take God's word as from God, right? Um, and certainly not from us. Well, I hope I hope that you've been encouraged. It sounds like the kids have been encouraged. <laughs> um, which is good. Um, let me encourage you. Uh, to uh, go through this this catechism that talks about common grace. You download that and look at your phone, right? You can thank God every day for common grace, right? Uh, and personally, common grace is probably one of your number one segues 
in talking to lost people about the gospel, right? Um, it, it, at least it, 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 it's clear that it has the, the ability to. All right, friends, we're going to take the Lord's table. Uh, can I ask um, Christian and Jacob to service today? Is it possible? I'm going to pray for you as these guys are preparing the Lord's table. You prepare your hearts to come and thank God for all these things. Okay. But we love you. God, we thank you for your word that is so uh, complete, so so good. Um, thank, thank you, God, that your word tells us what we need for faith and practice. God, thank you that by your spirit you've given us all that we need for life and godliness. Thank you, God, that our Christian maturity begins, starts, and ends with you. And Lord, as we look to who we are today, who we're not, I pray that you would comfort us with the knowledge of who we are and who we aren't. And I pray that you would help us unlearn things that we've been teaching our own hearts about ourselves that are untrue for a long time. And I pray that you would ruin it with your truth uh, and that you would stand uh, in the gap of our constant preaching to ourselves the wrong things with uh, precisely who you are, who we are, and who you have called us to be. Lord, thank you for being the best provider we've ever known. Mm -hmm. Have our hearts, God, constantly looking to you, to see you as a provider. Help us not to live godless lives, uh, but to uh, recognize that you're in view and that you, in fact, do give us all things. Um, God, thank you that you're the best thing that's ever happened to us. Thank you for this table, for commanding us to take it so that we would be constantly reminded of the wonderful truths of our deep need for forgiveness, all that it costs you, and, and all that we enjoy. God, help us to live thankful lives uh, as a result of your gospel. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to the Ecclesia of Newton Sermon Podcast. If you'd like to show your support, find out more information, or hear more like this, check out our website, ecclesianewton.com.